wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Are you enjoying our discussions about the clitoris's role in childbirth? We'd love to hear from you about what's coming up. I'm hearing many people are stunned by how much providers don't know and how people with clitorises themselves have not considered the clitoris's role in life and childbirth. My guest today is going to expand the discussion and our understanding of the clitoris's role for more than just pleasure. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. Jessica Pinn is an advocate for inclusion of detailed clitoral anatomy in medical literature and curricula, training standards for vulvar procedures, and correction of medical misinformation about vulvas. She has gotten 12 major medical textbooks, two top anatomy anatomy, and multiple online resources to update their content and more to promise future updates. She's also published a cadaveric study with plastic surgeons, convinced OBGYNs to publish a cadaveric study, and effected change in OBGYN and plastic surgery board certification, standardized consent forms, and residency curricula. She holds a degree in biomedical engineering from Washington University in St. Louis. Welcome, Jessica. I am truly honored to have you here. I've been following you. I'm a big fan, and I want to really welcome you for joining us and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. So in knowing a little bit about you, I'd love for you to help our viewers understand How did you get started and develop, you know, your interest in really learning more about clitoral anatomy and bringing that to so many? So when I was 18, I had a labiaplasty and a clitoral hood reduction was done without my consent and I lost clitoral sensation. And after my surgery, you know, I was really confused because I had been told that there was no risk to sexual function. And when I tried to tell my doctor, I was told that it was not possible and that I just needed to relax and that it was psychological in some way. And that is a very common response anytime a woman loses clitoral sensation. There are so many stories that I've heard at this point and every single time women get told that it's in their heads. And so, you know, because I, I had to prove that it wasn't just in my head. I ended up teaching myself the anatomy. And once I taught myself the anatomy, I learned that it was not getting taught because basically I noticed that it wasn't mentioned in literature on female genital cosmetic surgery. And it wasn't in any major OBGYN textbooks. And it was also missing from most anatomy textbooks or it was missing from all anatomy textbooks that I originally checked in 2011. It took me a really long time to start advocating and 
to really start asking for changes because it was really scary. I had a great deal of trauma around it. And one of the hardest things that happened is my loss was really minimized and trivialized. You know, like I was told that I was making mountains out of molehills. My psychiatrist of seven years, when I finally told him, said that I just wasn't dealing with it well because I hadn't resolved another trauma. You know, I was told, like, I was asked why I was so obsessed with sex. You know, I was told there are other things in life besides sex and that I shouldn't dwell on it so much. And so that's why I think it's really, really important to acknowledge just how important female sexual pleasure is. Um, because I think that like people don't properly recognize it. But yeah, so after my surgery, I, you know, I went to several doctors and I tried to get help. And basically, you know, it was really clear that none of them really understood the anatomy. And so uh, it took me a long time to figure out what to do. Like, it's sort of embarrassing. It actually took me seven years to figure out that I could just email the textbook editors. That was not something that occurred to me. But once I started doing that, I started getting real changes made. It also took me a while to figure out, like, basically, I think a lot of people don't know how medicine works because my dad is a plastic surgeon and he didn't really know what to do. And so it took a long time before I realized I needed to contact, you know, professional medical organizations like specialty boards and professional medical societies. It's really, it's actually really kind of frustrating in retrospect that my dad didn't know what to do, um, which I think tells me, well, it says a lot about, you know, its doctors do see a problem in medicine that's harming patients. I, I think a lot of them are at a loss for what to do about it. And so there is this opportunity to like harness recognition of problems that may be affecting patient care and there aren't good channels for, you know, doctors to be able to change things to improve patient care, basically. Yeah. Well, first I have to say, I'm so sorry to hear your story and can even begin to imagine how challenging that has been and without people listening and hearing you and honoring you. But I really want to applaud you for taking that pain to purpose and finding that path that was elusive on how do you make change happen. And you've been incredible in the number of places that you've gotten people to update the anatomy of the clitoris and to have a deeper understanding and to begin to question, you know, why hasn't this been part of medical training and considered by so many? So why is it important to recognize that the clitoris is not just for pleasure? Well, if you say it's just for pleasure, it kind of sounds like it's only as important as chocolate cake. And I think, you know, we all know that we can live without chocolate cake, but it's really hard to live without a functioning clitoris. It's really hard to not be able to you know, have the experience of a partner being able to give you an orgasm. For example, like this is a major way that people bond in relationships and it makes, you know, sex is a lot harder when it's more difficult to receive pleasure. And TMI, but I have figured out ways, but it really is still something that impacts 
my relationships a lot. Like it just makes it so much harder for me to make things work with partners because, you know, it's just harder for me to get pleasure. And, you know, I think that like sex where only one person is getting pleasure is really like pretty horrible, you know? And like when I first started having sex, it was after my surgery and what it was like is like so one-sided, you know? And it's really awful to be like a vessel for somebody else's pleasure and not have sex be a mutual exchange. Like it's really sort of dehumanizing actually and the fact that medicine has treated this like an acceptable state for women to live in is pretty terrible and you know that's kind of how it was treated and you know once back in I think it was 2013 my father brought me home all the consent forms for different pelvic surgeries and and these were all standardized consent forms. Granted, this was in Texas, but basically they mentioned risk to sexual function for men always, but not for women. So never for women. Shocking, right? Like unbelievably shocking. And that was what year? I think it was 2013. And this is so important. Our listeners, I'm sure, are as shocked as me, both in hearing your story and what you've been through, but also that women's sexual function has not been a priority. Now, yeah, also, go ahead. So, so a lot of doctors may object to that, but one thing really important to look at is what quote unquote sexual function means in medicine. One time in 2011, I went through the two highest impact factor OBGYN journals and I analyzed the context of sexual function. So back then, I really, really dug into medical literature because I felt like I needed to find a way to prove that there was a problem. And I felt like, you know, people were not recognizing that what happened to me was a big deal and not believing me when I said that there was a really big systemic problem that needed to change. And so I just... The way that I responded to that was I actually wrote 200 pages trying to analyze medical literature to show that there was a problem. And I only got halfway through my outline for everything that I wanted to say. And then I could never finish it because I just, I got very re-traumatized by this whole process because it became more and more clear that medicine didn't value what I had lost, basically. And so when I looked at the context of sexual function, it mainly meant the ability to be penetrated without pain. And I found statements like that women should be told that they can resume normal, quote unquote, sexual function after radical vulvectomy. So radical vulvectomy involves basically removing the vulva, removing the clitoris, and like, imagine being told that you can resume normal sexual function after that. Um, no. There's one gynecologic oncology textbook where they go over a radical vulvectomy procedure and then under complications, they do not mention sexual function. There was one paper that I found where they interviewed vulvectomy patients and a really large percentage of them, I can't remember if it was a majority, it might have just been 40%, but... It, it's been a while since I've read it, but it was an alarming number 
reported that their doctors did not talk to them about sexual function at all. And but also what I was saying is that pleasure doesn't typically get talked about. It doesn't get discussed. You know, the part, the orgasm part. And when you look at OBGYN coverage of female sexual function and dysfunction, um, they tend to focus on psychological aspects and hormones. In the 10,000 word article on up to date on the diagnosis and management of female sexual dysfunction, they mention relationship 26 times. They mention the clitoris only once. All they say is that you can put massage oil on the clitoris. So imagine being a woman with a, who has a problem with their clitoris. Your doctor's not going to evaluate that generally. They're not going to evaluate whether there's a problem with the clitoris. They're not going to have any solution to any problem with the clitoris, right? So recently I applied to business school and I asked for a recommendation from this guy, Dr. Irwin, Irwin Goldstein, who is basically like the foremost champion of female sexual medicine. Honestly, he has done a lot for women, but, you know, he really noticed that women were not getting treated the same as men, you know, quite a while ago. And he founded the San Diego Center for Sexual Medicine. He has done a lot. However, when he and other doctors got together to write a 375-page textbook on female sexual function and dysfunction, they didn't go over detailed anatomy of the clitoris and they really didn't discuss what could be wrong with the clitoris. Like if you look at literature on male sexual dysfunction, it's very different in that they go over the anatomy and physiology of the penis in detail. They go over, you know, it's like, it's all about what could be wrong with the penis and how the penis works. And with female sexual dysfunction, they tend to focus more on what could be wrong with a woman's brain or you know, like other things, they, they tend to avoid the genitals. It's really crazy, especially the clitoris. It's really weird. Anyway, so when I talked about his textbook on my Instagram, he withdrew the offer to write my recommendation. So that sucked. So one thing that's been hard is it's been hard to figure out how to influence without offending. And I have offended a lot of people. Typically in urology literature on male sexual dysfunction, they go into great depth and it gets its own chapter. But with female sexual dysfunction, when it gets covered in an OBGYN textbook, typically it will be in like, it'll be in a chapter on like psychosocial issues and emotional issues. And it'll be right between like domestic violence and you know, depression or something, you know, so it's treated very differently. There is one textbook, Walter's Urogynecology, that devotes a whole chapter on female sexual function and dysfunction. However, that textbook did not include any anatomy for the clitoris previously. So I got that one updated. However, in the sexual function chapter, they still don't really discuss what could be wrong with the clitoris. And so I actually reached out to one of the authors of that chapter and she's a psychologist. And she said, you know, they were specifically told not to discuss anatomy of the clitoris in that chapter because it would be discussed elsewhere. But it's just sort of bizarre because with, with peanut, with, you know, male sexual dysfunction, it's recognized that the dysfunction can be with the penis. And I actually had one doctor, who I'm actually a big fan of, so... You know, I don't I don't want to insult her or anything, but on my Instagram, she confidently said that most female sexual dysfunction is not caused by clitoral dysfunction. 
We don't know that because this isn't the way that they approach it. Also, the way that they do typically assess female sexual dysfunction is they use something called the female, the female sexual function index. And it's, it was developed by a male psychologist. So, um, you can probably imagine what they emphasize. Like they emphasize wetness and, you know, psychological factors. And that tends to be, you know, what gets focused on the most. This is like, for and I can only imagine I can hear your emotion and your passion in this. And for me too, it's like troubling. It's bringing up a lot. And especially as we think, you know, in our field about birth, where I know that we have to consider the role of the clitoris in labor and birth. And you actually, you know, wrote, Regarding neglect of the clitoris, OBGYNs will actually say things like, it's not relevant to my practice, and we are concerned with reproduction and not pleasure. And yet, clearly, I feel the baby passage through the vagina, touching all the clitoral complex, you know, coming through labia and that has definitely should be an influence of them understanding clitoral anatomy. How do you feel or what are you hearing from OBGYN specifically in this? So basically, I think that the role of the clitoris has been disregarded because of taboos around female sexuality. It all pretty much comes down to cultural suppression of female sexuality. And so what has happened is people have separated reproduction from pleasure, even though it doesn't really make sense. And I see that as a manifestation of basically a Madonna war complex. You know, this idea that good women shouldn't be sexual. And so if you're a mother, you shouldn't be sexual. And so there is this avoidance of discussing, you know, evidence that all women are sexual, basically. And I I think, yeah, it doesn't make sense when the clitoris is not considered reproductive anatomy. So there is this article by Roy Levin on the reproductive role of the clitoris, and he argues that clitoral stimulation induces physiological changes that make conception more likely. Actually, I have one friend who couldn't get pregnant for about two years, I think. And so she was looking for answers and nothing she was doing was working. And my memory is she was even doing fertility treatments. Um, She's my age. I'm 36. And so... Basically, eventually she stumbled upon like some kind of information about how timing her, her, her orgasm in a certain way would help her conceive. And she got pregnant her first try after trying that. And that could just be random, but she is very opinionated that, you know, female sexual pleasure does play a role in conception. And she thinks it hasn't been adequately researched because there isn't money in using, you know, female orgasm to help women conceive. One thing interesting is that research has shown that oxytocin plays a role in sperm transport. So basically, like, they have done experiments where if they inject oxytocin, it improves sperm transport. And this has been proven, and there are several papers. And in those papers, they say things like that oxytocin is released in response to vaginal stimulation but that's not really what's doing it it's clitoral stimulation and specifically it's orgasm that causes the flood of oxytocin you know so there's another study that shows that oxytocin increases 
by about 10 times more if a woman orgasms versus if she doesn't. So that's very significant. And yet no one has ever made a connection between orgasm and sperm transport in the medical literature, even though the connection is clearly there if you just connect the dots. So I think that's really funny. And I see it as sort of an avoidance, the obvious. I also think that, you know, obviously like clitoral stimulation motivates reproductive activity. Like the reason why women have sex is for pleasure generally. Like we don't, especially if you think about like prehistoric women, like they weren't, they weren't thinking like, oh, they wanted to make a baby. They were just having sex because we have this drive to have sex. And that drive is further stimulated by, you know, getting a reward. And what's interesting is in this book, Sapiens by Yuval Harari, he says that males evolved to feel sexual pleasure in order to motivate them to reproduce. And he said most males probably wouldn't reproduce if it was not pleasurable. He didn't say anything about females. And what's very strange is that argument hasn't been made for females. And people tend to assume that women will still reproduce even if they're not experiencing pleasure. Unfortunately, because of cultural suppression of female sexuality in a lot of places and because of things like female genital mutilation, there are women who reproduce without much pleasure and without orgasms, certainly. However, I think that that requires like entire cultures of coercion. Like a while back, I was, I used to follow, I think I probably do follow a woman on TikTok who like she, I forget what she calls herself, but basically she was super Christian. And so she would basically taught sex is for your husband. Sex is a chore you owe your husband. And she said, you know, she used to be so disconnected from her sexuality and she would be having sex with her husband without getting any pleasure for herself. And it just became like this chore and this awful thing she had to do that she didn't enjoy. And she, anyway, so she divorced this guy and she became reconnected with her body. But she talks about the work that it took to like feel pleasure again. And for, and she had to recognize that, you know, sex was for her, you know, instead of just being a chore. But, but I think this is all very unnatural. Like in order for her to get into that situation, it took like, you know, a a religion and like a culture that told her that she owed this, right? Versus, you know, if you think about like humans before cultures even existed, if like, I think that things would have been a lot more primal and there wouldn't have been the ideas about what you owe your husband that would have been, you know, you would have had sex because you're motivated by pleasure. I think that's why it makes a lot of sense that our pleasure organs are simulated from the outside, you know, because like it's really important to be able to induce that arousal and induce that motivation for pleasure. You know, like one thing people have talked about is how a lot of women have responsive desire. And one way to trigger responsive desire is through stimulation, you know, like so... Yeah, it's it's really funny. And then people wonder, like, why isn't the clitoris up the vagina? And there are so many reasons. I mean, it basically is because it can be simulated internally. Correct. The clitoral glands is the most sensitive part, and that is external. And I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Like, I have asked, you know, if anybody has a better idea for a design for the clitoris. You know, because 
people act like there's something wrong with how women are built. And I don't think there's anything wrong with how we're built at all. I think it's like genius, you know, like how the clitoris is shaped and, you know, how it can be simulated externally and internally. And I also think how the vulva is shaped. I think the vulva is basically designed to facilitate indirect clitoral gland stimulation during penetration. And I know that that's not enough for a lot of women, but I think that it's still like designed that way with how everything connects. Yeah, I was going to say you're bringing up so many important points and just, you know, how much has been left out, how much people haven't considered both medical providers and, you know, women and people with clitorises. And it just takes me further to say we're really, if we're not getting it recognized in general lifespan, right, in general well-being and that we're all sexual beings, it we can begin to understand, as you said, that Madonna whore complex and different cultures and religions, why we've totally, I call it like we've stripped it and sterilized it out of birth, which is depriving people in childbirth from having more ease and pleasure and even orgasms, we call them birthgasms that happen for some people in birth. So what would you say, like one more thing that you want to share about this as we wrap up that you feel our listeners, many of who are planning a pregnancy, may be pregnant or, you know, have a baby and are getting back to reconnecting with their body and sexuality. What's your tip for them? Um, well, I think that one thing that I think that women should know is that if they have um, lost any kind of physical sensation after childbirth, not to accept any idea that it's just their hormones or just psychological because there is real damage that can happen. And my hope is that someday, you know, physical injuries to the clitoris are more properly treated. So one thing that we realize in our study is that the nerves of the clitoris are really large and they are large enough to repair, but that has never been attempted. Granted, this may be complicated. Like I was talking to one nerve surgeon who said that, you know, when they've repaired dorsal nerve injuries in the penis, like there have been complications. So it's not necessarily a simple issue, but I just, I want physical damage to the vulva and clitoris to be taken more seriously and for there to be solutions someday. And so I want, you know, women to, you know, advocate for themselves and help medical providers realize that it's not just a matter of hormones and psychology. The other thing is I do think that, you know, there should be awareness of the role of orgasm and conception. There is actually one paper on the evolutionary roles or evidence for an evolutionary role of female orgasm. And they go over the role of female orgasm and what they call covert sire choice. Like basically they argue that basically like women orgasm more with higher genetic quality partners. And so that shows like, basically there is all this evidence that orgasm does play a role in whether women conceive or not. And I think that it's an important thing to be aware of. And this is something that my friend actually really emphasized to me. And I've been meaning to make a post about it, but I just don't know enough about it. However, I think that it's something that really should be looked into. And also, I just, I think it's really important for women to feel like entitled to pleasure, you know, 
like pleasure is every bit as important for us as it is for men. And yet I think that we sort of like self-deny, like we deny ourselves that like we, we minimize the importance in studies. Women will often say that their partner's orgasm is more important to their satisfaction than their own, which I think just goes with a lot of female socialization to put others before themselves. But if you then look at women's ratings of sexual encounters, those are heavily predicted by whether they orgasm or not. And also female orgasm rate is correlated with relationship satisfaction. So it actually is really important to have orgasms. There are so many benefits. And I just think, you know, I've talked to so many women who will think that like whatever they need is a burden or if they'll struggle to ask for what they want in bed or they think, oh, well, it's just taking me too long or, you know, they'll think, oh, well, I don't need to orgasm every time. But it actually, you know, I would like to see women be as entitled to orgasm as men are. And I mean, look at how upset they get if they don't get to orgasm, like the whole blue balls thing, you know, imagine if women, you know, you know, were as frustrated by blue volvas, quote unquote, you know, it's just funny to think about. So yeah, I guess those are key points. And those are awesome points. I join you in wanting that and seeing that. I hope everyone that's listening, I always say great preparation for birth is learning about your voice, your body is increasing your orgasm and finding what your body needs. So great message. Yes. Oh, yeah. I guess I have one other thought because I glanced at the paper that you sent me on the role of the clitoris in childbirth and I didn't see anything about pain um, because I think, you know, pleasure and orgasm, it like desensitizes you. So like, I forget, but I think there, there has been maybe research or or maybe it's just anecdotal, but you know, people who engage in like these like kink practices, they can tolerate so much more pain. Like their pain threshold goes up so much when they are experiencing pleasure. And I think that that says a lot about perhaps the role of pleasure in childbirth, right? Yes. I agree with you. Such an important point. We know that people that are self-pleasuring in childbirth, that sometimes it just happens because they have the freedom of movement and they're leaning forward and the baby comes down and touches those internal clitoral nerves, often talk about pain is not a predominant feeling when they're experiencing more pleasure. So I think that's important for life, right? I, I'd love to read some of the studies that you have. And I know a lot of our listeners are probably saying, how can we find you, Jessica? Where can people follow you? I know you've got a great social presence and website. I actually don't have a website. I need to make one. Um, okay. But I'm on Instagram at Jessica underscore and underscore pin, P-I-N. And I am Mediclit on Twitter. It's M-E. I love that on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. So some people love that. And some people think it's like a little too in your face. I don't know. I think it's sort of fun. Um, and then I'm Jessica underscore and underscore pin on TikTok also. Thank you so much, Jessica, for taking time to share your story. And your incredible work, your advocacy to make sure that every woman, every person with a clitoris 
starts to understand more about their body and that our medical providers as well start learning more and paying attention and protecting the clitoris, both in surgery, in birth, and in ways it can be repaired. So I am so grateful for you. For those that are listening, please follow Jessica. We're putting all those in the show notes. So just look below wherever you listened to this podcast and you'll be able to click over to follow her. And we'd love to hear from you too. So please tag us with thoughts and comments at Orgasmic Birth on any of the platforms. And we thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.